Any John? thoughts, John? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I I had a smart ass comment comment I was gonna use, but I can't use it because the way I like the idea, the way Will wrapped up, so <laughs> we get edit all this out. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord. <laughs> Ready to ride along for another exciting episode of No Driving Gloves, where Derek, John, and Will will use over 75 years combined industry knowledge to bring you a bare-knuckled view on the collector car hobby. So let's get rolling. Well, we're back again for another episode of No Driving Gloves in everybody's home and in their studios, and we're going to visit a little bit about what actually happened, why everybody was gone, and how our weeks went. We've all had very, or reasonably exciting weeks, depending who you are. So, Will, Derek, are you uh, happy to be home and kind of rested up from your travels and excursions and traffic dilemmas? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be back. Um, luckily, I don't really have anything else planned until SEMA, so uh, get to enjoy uh, a month or so home and try to get some work done. And, you know, SEMA, SEMA kind of starts the new year for us, so... Uh, looking forward to getting uh, the new year started. I'm still running on brass era fumes, so uh, I'm doing good. Glad to be home, but you know, miss being around the brass era cars and the the horseless carriage stuff. But just gives me more uh, more uh, desire to finish up my projects here at home, so I can play with them. How'd your weekend go, John? It was there like most weekends. Uh, I got to spend the weekend uh, watching girls volleyball. A kid plays volleyball. Uh, let's see here. I'm trying to remember what I did on Friday. It was a good day if you forgot what you did. <laughs> You're Isn't right. that what they say? What, a, what an exciting, you know, what an exciting week, I guess. I'm trying to remember here because... I think the problem is, is I recorded with Will. That's it. I hung out with Leadfoot uh, Lulu on Friday because I recorded with Will on Saturday, and I think I recorded with you on Friday. So my weekend had already begun by the time I talked to you guys as your weekend was beginning. And on Monday, I had a guy stop by and kind of asked for me at work and drop, you know, just drop my name. And being the nice guy I am, I finally got to meet Nate Adams with uh, Chassis Media. He's uh, business partners with Adam Carolla, and they've put out some some of the best true car documentaries that I've ever seen. It's a interesting company that they've done and developed. We criticize some of the History Channel footage that was out and the Leno footage and that, and Adam and Leno are pretty good friends, I guess, listening to his podcast, CarCast, and things like that. But in talking to Nate, they, they've put out the movies Winning, The Racing Life of Paul Newman, which we've shown at the museum. We, they put out the move, uh, movie 24-Hour Wars, which are the 24-Hour War, which is a documentary on the development of the Ford GT40 in the 60s and how they Ford went after Ferrari and really does an excellent uh, history on, the, on Ford. And on Ferrari, they have interviews in there with the chairman of Ferrari that it's unbelievable that they ever pulled those off. Nate was telling me it took him like two years to arrange the sit-down with the guy at Ferrari and 
it's 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 just a fabulous movie. We've also shown that their next release will be on Willie T. Ribs, which is a very prominent African American that sports car driver attributes Paul Newman for where for his success in racing. And then they seem to be buying up older documentaries and all the footage that's included with them, re-editing, re-narrating them, and re-releasing them, and making the movies that they should have been done with a pretty big budget. So it was really fascinating to hang out with him on Monday and a couple of his production crew. They're in Birmingham filming a movie right now. And just to spend some time with him. We'll go ahead and I'll put some links up on uh, our webpage at nodrivinggloves.com to, in case you wanted to pick up one of the 24-hour war or something on from Chassis through Amazon. Those are documentaries that are definite. If you are at all car-wise, they're worth watching. That really made my week is being able to spend two or three hours with, again, Nate Adams. And it was just, we developed a couple of ideas for some business relationships in the future. There, that's kind of encompassed my weekend. <laughs> Boy, that went from, uh, I can't remember what I did, to <laughs> four minutes of, wow. <laughs> hey, I'm an all or nothing kind of guy. <laughs> that's just the way it is around here on No Driving Gloves. We forget things, and then suddenly we remember a 10-minute story. It's, you know, you pull the choke out, warm me up, uh, and all of a sudden, and then and I'll go balls to the wall, so. <laughs> oh, Lord. So go well, ahead and top me now. Yeah, well, I don't know if I had that uh, that exciting of a, a weekend as, you know, meeting or, or hanging out with uh, person that has that strong of connections and that amazing of a resume behind them for their movie work and all of that wonderful stuff that Nate has, but did get to spend the weekend with a lot of early cars, um, which is always fun for me. I think as we talked about on last week's podcast, that the weekend was spent Thursday on a brass and gas era tour. And for anybody that doesn't know what that is, uh, those are tours for brass era cars that still have only acetylene and oil uh, lamps. And so acetylene headlights and oil lanterns for the side markers and the the taillight. However, safety features are added. Uh, there are L- typically LED stop taillights to make sure people on the roads can see that you're stopping. So we do we do add safety to these things. And then from there, I uh, traveled up to Henry Ford Museum Greenfield Village for the Old Car Festival. Friday spent the day getting the replica of the 1886 Benz Patton Motorwagen running, which uh, we've talked about many times on this show. Uh, I did grab some good GoPro footage of the engine running and driving it around a little bit, so we'll probably get that up on the uh, Facebook page and our uh, website and all those good places we have. And I've got uh, some footage of some of the other cars running around that hopefully we can get up there as well so everybody can see it. But I spent the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, hanging out in the tent that Henry Ford Museum puts up and brings out some cars and and invites special cars to be displayed in. So the 1886 Benz is always in that tent, along with the operational replica of Henry Ford's quadricycle from 1896. It's one of the most authentic replicas that were built by a gentleman named George DeAngelis, who was a 
Ford engineer, actually, for a very long time. We also had the operational replica of sweepstakes, which is Henry Ford's first race car he built in 1901 prior to Ford Motor Company even existing. Ford built those uh, back in the 2001 for the 100th anniversary of Ford Racing. Of course, they consider their 100th anniversary of racing to be 1901 uh, rather than 1903 when the company, of course, officially starts. So they built the replica for that event and they still operate it to this day, which is fantastic. Um, I used to drive the car occasionally when I I worked at Henry Ford Museum and it is a uh, quite a piece of machinery. It can basically spin the rear wheels going into high gear, which it has a two-speed planetary transmission, but still anything with enough power at that time to spin the rear wheels going into high gear, it's quite a machine. And then they also had a couple Lincolns out because we were celebrating the 100th anniversary of what basically would become Lincoln uh, Motor Car Company. And uh, they actually had a car from my past there from my time at the Crawford Auto Aviation Museum, which was the 1921 Lincoln seven-passenger touring car that is actually serial number 21, which happens to be the oldest surviving Lincoln still in existence. Of course, at that time being built by Henry Leland, we actually, at my time at the Crawford, uh, I actually got that car back up and running with the volunteer crew because it had a seized engine. So it was good to see the car visit again and see it out running again. So that that was kind of my weekend. Did I did I top the amount of time that John spent talking? I was about the same. Oh man. I I will add if when you do get those videos to me so we can get them posted, we actually do have a YouTube channel right now. They just we just released the podcast on it so you get to watch our logo for the 60 wonderful minutes spending with us, but we can also add those videos to YouTube and get those out that way and Fantastic. Go. Come on, Will, let us know. How was how was LS Fest? You came up to Bowling Green. I wasn't here to visit you. Let's let's hear it. All right. Well, first off, I'm gonna start off by Tuesday. You know, Monday was a holiday, so Oh, you're uh, gonna tell us about your new toy? Yeah. I mean, heck, that was part of the week, right? Yeah. Um, so Monday was a holiday, so we took uh we took that day off. Didn't come into the shop, just kinda had a had a long weekend. Tuesday came in and worked, and Kyle Kirkman, my um, head fabricator in the shop, we took off Tuesday night at midnight and drove to St. Louis, Missouri, and picked us up a new power hammer. So that's how my week kind of started, was driving to St. Louis on uh, Tuesday night late. We got there about 9 o'clock in the morning, uh, loaded our hammer up and uh, took a quick tour of Mittler Brothers, which is a fantastic facility. Met a buddy of mine for uh, lunch that I hadn't seen in several years. Drove back home and then we got, let's see, we got back Tuesday, Wednesday night about 1130 or so. So we had a we had a pretty long day <laughs> Wednesday. Now, now and, fill everybody in on what a power hammer is before we get into Thursday. All right, well, a, a power hammer is basically for metal shaping purposes. They were built during uh, World War II, I think. Uh, was mainly when they were used. Um, they would have them on aircraft carriers and whatnot, pounding out, you know, pieces of uh, aircraft that got damaged or whatever. 
And so they kind of migrated into the automotive industry as well. And it's just, it's one of those pieces of equipment that if you're going to be making fenders and roof skins and door skins and stuff like that, instead of using a pull Mac style hammer, which is uh, technically a nibbler is what, what they're considered. A power hammer just hits a lot harder. Uh, you can put shape in a panel very, very fast. Uh, you can do reverse compound curves, like really cool transmission tunnels. You can put them in a slip roll and, and get your, you know, get the curve that you want and then linear stretch the edges and just really do some really creative stuff with it. Um, so basically all it is, is just this big piece of equipment that pounds metal really, really hard. You can change out the dies. It's, it's pretty much for stretching or shrinking sheet metal. And that's, that's pretty much all it does, but it's, it's really kind of a luxury item in a hot rod shop. Not every hot rod shop has one like the, like they have bead rollers, you know, every hot rod shop has a bead roller. Um, but not all hot rod shops have a power hammer. So. And it really takes a talented uh, individual to operate that because me and a power hammer, I can take a perfectly good piece of sheet metal and give you recycled metal, or <laughs> to be recycled metal, in it, a matter of moments. It don't take long to take it too far. It's almost a lost art. Luckily, it's kind of making a comeback. Uh, a lot of these younger shops that are specializing in sheet metal fabrication and, and building these one-off parts out of sheet metal have, have kind of recreated the luxury of having uh, a Yoder or a power hammer or a Pettengale style hammer in, in your shop. You know, guys, you know, Ray, not Ray. Um, I can't, I don't know. I can't remember the guy's name, but anyway, um, he, he has a class that you can take on um, Faye Butler. That's the guy's name. Faye Butler has a, where you can take a class from from him on how to use a power hammer, and a lot of young guys have taken that class and really just kind of started taking that to the next level. So really excited to have one in the shop now. It's just going to make our production level go up and our range of being able to build stuff go up as well. So uh, really excited to have a power hammer in the shop. So that was uh, Wednesday uh, when we got... Wednesday, we got the hammer. Uh, Thursday, came in, unloaded it, positioned it in the shop. Got uh, the 65 Ford truck with an LS motor in it, uh, cleaned up and ready to go to Bowling Green for LS Fest. Got to Bowling Green, and I tell you, man, um, LS Fest is uh, its one of those shows that personally I wouldn't have to go to every year. But, man, it's, it's a pretty awesome event. Uh, it's a lot more race and performance oriented show where normally what we do is more of kind of sit behind your car, you know, talk to people and polish your car and just, you know, just kind of sit there and not really do a whole lot where LS Fest is, there's always drag racing going on. There's always autocross mm -hmm. racing going on. Uh, they even have, um, a drift event there, um, speed stops challenge. I mean, they got stuff like that going on for three days and, uh, it was, uh, a cool place to be. Uh, I'm glad I went 
and I'll definitely go back, but it's it's not going to be an every year uh, event for me, uh, especially being that it's the same weekend as Shades of the Past. So, And you said there was literally everything. You showed up in a Ford and re- recapping a little bit of last week's episode, if, in case anybody missed it. You said there was there were import cars. I know I posted a picture of a 350Z that you had sent me on our Instagram page. Uh, do I guess in a drifting event, but you said that it was all makes and models. Or just the only common line is they were all powered by that uh, LS motor under the hood, correct? That's it. I mean, it, it it can be anything with as long as it's got an LS motor in it, you're welcome at uh, LS Fest. And I mean, there were Datsuns, there were Nissans, uh. Mustangs, Ford trucks. I mean, you name it, it was there. Um, the Pantera that the Ring Brothers built that uh, I think Preston owns now was there. Anything from street rods to brand new Corvettes. And they were there, and most of them were there racing in one way or another. An- another cool thing that kind of happened this past weekend was um, I met Scotty D there. And he had me media passes. I actually took all of the still photography for uh, ScottyDTV.com and been able to be right behind the wall when, you know, drag racing's going on and not having to sit in the bleachers and being out in the middle of the drift course or the autocross course or sitting up in the tower with, uh, I actually met the owner of the track, Dallas. Um, you know, none of that would have, wouldn't have happened if I would have just been a normal spectator. So that was, that was really pretty exciting. It's my, really my first experience at a drift event. And I was one of four crazy dudes that, um, had the cojones big enough to go down in the middle of the drift course and take pictures. So a car basically skidding out of control, but under control, you know, 10 yards from you smoking the tires running 120 mile an hour. That's uh, that's a pretty big rush. And you don't realize how close they are because you got the camera in your face. So it's it's very deceiving of, of how how close they really are. Scotty was showing me some of the uh, some of the video that he was taking. And I was like, holy cow, they were I was that close to them cars. And he was like, dude, you're right on them. So that was uh, that was pretty exciting there. And that camera lens really plays tricks with you, and you all of a sudden you pull the camera down, and you're right there in the headlights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're 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 pointed right at you, going sideways, and you know. But I never did really get nervous. One of the guys that that I was talking to out there shot a lot of drifting events, and he told me he's like, dude, all the all these drivers out here, they're good. He said, watch them two or three laps, and you'll kind of see their pattern and you'll you'll figure out real quick where you can go and where you can't go um so that's what i did you know i just kind of stayed back watched them make a few laps and then uh got up there pretty pretty close and got some got some really good photography for for scotty d and uh we'll be able to share some of those on uh, on our instagram and facebook page and website hopefully sounds like your show had a, a lot of excitement and yeah, old car festival can can get exciting too. They've got they've got car games that get played there. 
might not be as exciting as drifting, I guess, or drag racing, but uh, there are activities uh, where the early cars race each other. Um, you know, they throw in a few uh, little antics along the way where maybe you have to do a, you know, Chinese fire drill or make sure you uh, pop certain balloons along the course, uh, do things like balance your car on the ba- the old uh, style balance beams. Might not be quite as exciting as, as what you got to do, Will, but it's it's still pretty fun. Man, I bet it was fun. I mean, you know, seeing... I mean, you know, what you went to was history. And what I went to was making history, you know? So, and I like both of those. One day I'm going to skip LS Fest and I'm going to skip Shades and I'm going to go to Old Car Festival with you one day. I don't know when, but one day day it will will happen. Because, I mean, that's what I went to college for. You know, I mean, when we went to college for restoration, it wasn't, you know, tuning LS motors or putting them in a Ford truck or uh, drag racing or anything like that. It was, you know, it was the history of an automobile, uh, of the automobile. And, you know, that still, uh, that still interests me. And, um, and I know it interests John as well. Maybe that's what we need to do in a couple of years is just all three get together and go up there and do the do the podcast live or something from there. That'd be kind of neat. Well, I don't know if we're going to get traveling in this year, but I, I hope to be able to get us together at a couple of events, probably Bowling Green a couple of times, it seems, but since nothing happens in Alabama, and get us together and do some of these events. And hopefully as our listenership increases, we gain some credibility and you won't have to rely on those Scotty D media passes and no driving gloves can st- uh, put us up for those. Wait, 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 wait. You expect the three of us to be credible? <laughs> At least me and John. I don't, I don't know about you, Derek. <laughs> he just plays those plastic cars. Uh, yep, yep. And I wouldn't say there aren't cool things in Alabama. I mean, you've got some cool stuff that goes on down there at the barber. I think it'd be cool to meet up for come down to the the historic races you guys do or something like that. I think we could do a show out of that. Unfortunately, it'd be like doing something at the Corvette Museum. I have to work when we have those events. So, so we do it after we'll we'll do it after hours. Will and I'll hang out and have fun while you work, and then we'll get together and report on the fun we had. We'll hang out at a bar somewhere and have diet cokes and uh, invite the listeners over for a party. I'm down with that. There you go. Let's do it. We need to have it at the cigar bar so we can have cigars. That's what the podcast is for. I don't smoke in my studio. Too bad. That's what all this foam's here for, is absorbing those wonderful odors. (laughs) So since we're talking about shows and things and activities, there was some some news really just today, again, we're filming or recording this on the 14th and oh good guys officially announced or it hit hemmings today and it it might be a couple days old today but they've expanded their i guess accepted vehicle list now we'll take cars up until 1987 so really a 30-year rule Will, what do you know about that? Is that going to be a rolling 30-year rule, or are they just jumping from 15 years from 72 to 87? Or 
Um, yeah, from what I understand, they're just jumping from 72 to 87. Um, and and it, it'll stay 87, I don't know, I mean, for several years, I'm sure. They, they've been hitting around about it pretty much all year. Um, there's an article, I believe it's in their yearbook. If you register a card at Good Guys event, you get the Good Guys yearbook, which is a really awesome uh, book. They take a lot of time putting it together, but it's kind of a recap of all year last year and then some upcoming things for this year. Um, and, and, you know, they've hinted around a little bit on their Facebook page a couple of times. And so so I kind of figured that it was coming. So as, as far as I know, it's just they're jumping to 87, and it'll be that way for a while. You think it's a... I guess, Derek, you jump in too. I think it's it's a cool thing. I mean, it's you get a lot of resistance, like with the AACA and that, when you point out that caravans all of a sudden are classified as antique automobiles, and now, heck, even, you know, Eagle Talons and Fox Body Mustangs can be class, you know, again, in the AACA, because they're more than the 30-year 30, 30 age limit. Do you think that good guys... Ro- rolling that it's it's going to add literally thousands of cars that are potential candidates and a whole new you know a whole new realm because you know i can see 84 crx's into this and like i said caravans and all of a sudden you open up to you know square body chevys which we've talked in our trucks episode some of the hottest trucks on the on the market right now are those square bodied Chevys and now all of a sudden they have a whole new venue they can be built for. Is this good for the industry or good for the industry is a good que- is a interesting question or a good question. I think it's I'm going to go on it's it's a very good for the hobby. Because I think what we all have to remember and and you know the three of us come from different worlds of this hobby. It's all the same hobby. But there's definitely different niches. I'm I'm an early car guy. You know, John, you're the Lotus guy, you know, British race car kind of end of things. Will, you're doing hot rods. And one of the big things that a lot of us talk about, and I think a lot of us hear about, is that, well, you know, these kids these days, they just don't appreciate the, you know, the old cars. Well, we have to remember that old cars to them are different than what old cars are to us. Okay. Yes. Most of us, the three of us that are on this show were born in the seventies and eighties. So to us, 1980s vehicles are not old vehicles. They're just a used vehicle. Remember, we remember from our childhood, but to some of the kids that are getting into the car hobby right now, that 1984, you know, square body Chevy pickup or, you know, whatever cars out there from that era that they're starting to work on and play with, that is the car that's going to get them into this hobby and bring them into this world. And if we don't start moving these shows cutoff dates up, that's what's going to stop kids from getting interested in the old car hobby or in the car hobby in general, because, they're not going to get to go to the shows, meet people, hang out with them, talk to them. And that's their opportunity to learn about other cars and other vehicles that they haven't been exposed to in their childhood or, you know, in the the world they're running around in. So I, I think it's only the sensible thing to do 
to bring these cutoff dates up so we can keep this hobby going and keep people interested in it. Because it doesn't matter how much we want to live in our past and think that we're still the young kids of the the car hobby, the cars from the, for me, the teens, 20s, 30s, whatever, for other people, the 50s, 60s are the old cars. Well, we got to accept that the cars that were around when we were kids are old cars now too. And it's just, we have to change with the times. Yeah. You know, I see both sides of it. I see, you know, the side where it's cool to just have 1972 and older vehicles. Heck, 1948 and older vehicles. Um, all in one place at one time. There's just a cool air about that. Being that I make my living in this industry, it just opens up the door for even more vehicles for me to build. You know, Good Guys gives you something to build a car for. Going to a show, winning an award, being in a magazine, you're, you're there where where a, a lot of a lot of things are happening and it brings in people from all over the country. You know, so that guy that in the back of his mind, man, I really like Fox Body Mustangs, but why why would I build one? There's really not a purpose unless I want to go drag race, but I really want a nice a really nice put together hot rod. Well now, you know, now there's a reason for that. Let's do it. So, you know, I see I see both sides of it. And you know, there's gonna be shows out there that are 48 and older or 72 and older that if it's if that's your thing and you can't see past you don't want your 32 ford being parked next to a fox body mustang then you know that, that that's your prerogative but personally i i like i can pretty much find one thing i like about every car ever built so i don't mind looking at at vehicles that i've really never just stood and looked at before and that gives me an opportunity to do that because there's going to be cars that come up to good guys events that I've never really paid that much attention to. And it may spark an interest for something else I'm building at the shop or for one of my personal projects. You know, you never know. So personally, I think it's a good thing. I like it. I do. I do kind of see both sides of uh, of the situation here. But I think you're right, Will, which is there will always be shows that will retain the year limits of the older car. So old car festival where I was, you know, 1932 and earlier, they have to be the way they would have come from factory. There's no hot rods, no street rods allowed, anything like that. And then Greenfield Village Henry Ford Museum also hosts on Father's Day weekend what they call Motor Muster, which is 1933 to 1976 automobiles. Uh, they upped the the cutoff date on that probably about five or six years ago. They moved it from 72 to 76 to include some more of the, you know, classic cars that people were starting to collect and get involved with. And, you know, I think that those shows, like you say, those are those are shows that guys that own those cars ladies that owns own those cars there's a lot of women that come to those shows I'm, I'm not trying to leave women out of this at all you know there's there are a lot of people that come into those shows because like you say will they want to be with cars like theirs they don't want to bring their 1908 franklin and park next to 
1989 fox-bodied Mustang, you know, whatever it is. And that's cool. That's that's the prerogative of that owner. I still think, you know, going back, like you say, it's it's good for your industry because now you have reason to build other cars and do other things. And I think that, again, kind of plays into what I was trying, you know, what I was mentioning about getting people involved in the hobby. You know, these young kids that are growing up now, like you say, maybe they think the Fox Body Mustang is this really cool car that, you know, was out before they were born. So it's an old car and they want to get it and hop it up, just make it a really cool car. Now they have the chance to do that. Where before, you know, was there, as you say, was there the reason to do it? And I think that's what this is giving people an opportunity. It's giving them, like you say, the reason to play with some of these cars and do things to when you you're talking the the ages it it still amazes me and you know i i still think you know 40 40 45 is young but we're sitting here in 2017 the people graduating high school this year were born in 2000 so a fox body mustang is 10 10 years 8 years older than they are you're right we've got to look at kind of the demographic of where the market's moving. I know there's a lot of people, and even on our Facebook page and the chatter about the, this good guys move, there's a couple people excited. There's a couple people that are, I want to say, upset about it just based on the reactions. And well, I stole the uh, article or f- shared the article from Hemmings, and if you read through their comments, there's a lot of people that are upset about it not to alienate anybody, all three of us, I think, are in in this and are doing this podcast to help encourage the youth to get involved. And the only way to get the youth involved is to allow them something they can relate to. And we discussed this in our episode when we talked about car values a little bit in dollars and cents, is that the only way those cars that, say, 1972 and older are going to maintain value and be preserved and kept alive in this hobby, especially with today's teenagers where really a cell phone is almost their idea of a car. How, you know, what app can you get? What case can you get? You know, which phone do you have? That seems to be the status quo, not what did you drive to school today? So we need to get do things that get the kids involved and once they get involved, they mature, as we said, in dollars and cents. They buy their their dream car of the past, a Fox, you know, Fox Body Mustang seems to be the, the standard, or their old, the an 82, or excuse me, a 92 Camaro, or just things like that that they, they relate to, or a Japanese car, you know, a, a 86 Supra. And that's something that they see as an old car, but once they get, to get that done... As they get older and they get the income, they mature and they start buying the stuff from the 60s and the, then they go back to the 50s and so on. It's the natural progression if you look at the the collector car hobby since its inception. And I kind of look at car collecting beginning in the 30s. I know it existed before that. And it took off more after World War II where you started to have older cars. People started to buy stuff from the teens and the 20s. That was your only choices for collector cars. And then as those those people's kids grew up, they collected things from the 40s and then went back. And it needs to be done. We have to encourage children to do this. You know, I've never been shy about the fact that 
I kind of started hot rodding Hondas. I did the mini trucks, built mini trucks, low riders, and why do you do that? And then I did, I did uh, hot rod Hondas and motor swaps to Hondas and such. The older people, I'd show up at car shows in my CRX, and you'd be snubbed because it's wrong. And, you know, it's 1950s music, and I want to listen to Nine Inch Nails. And when the car shows start, the car shows that cater to that, those are the people I hung out with. And now here I am at 45, and I have an appreciation of, for everything from, you know, we talk about the collector car hobby. We seem to really refer back to that 1886 Benz. I have an appreciation from the first car ever created to literally the latest things off off the line today. And I don't know if that passion would be in me if I would have listened to the older folks at the car shows when I was 18 and 19 and just finally, you know, took my ball and went home and got out of the car hobby. It's just something, I, you know, I, I firmly believe that it, this is a good move for the hobby in general, and you're, we have shows that will cater to designated areas and be able to allow similar groups and similar interests to get together, but the only way those groups are going to exist is to get more people into the hobby, or that stuff pre-40s will begin to fade away. Yeah, and I'm going to add to that, John, because you talked a lot about, and we've talked about it in the past, the three of us and a lot of car collectors and people that are in the hobby, this comes from our parents. You know, for us, it came from our dads. We talk about, you talk about, you know, the generations, the people in thirties collected cars from the tens and twenties. And at that time they were just used cars, really. I mean, you didn't have the antique cars yet because cars weren't that old. And then as time progresses, of course, the kids collect the forties era cars and so on and so forth and so on and so forth. And it's just like you said with rock and roll music. You know, the the kids want to listen to rock and roll. The parents were you know, just griping and complaining that kids wanted to listen to this new rock and roll. You know, had I listened to my dad or had my dad kind of forced his opinions upon me, I don't know how things would have turned out because as we've talked about in the past, the the first car I really dove into deep and restored really for myself to drive in high school was that 1974 Pontiac GTO we talked about. Yes, I'd worked with on a whole other bunch of other cars with dad. Um, you know, we had the 37 Ford that we were in process of restoring things. But the one that I really dug into was the 74 because I had seen it at the GM dealership he was working at as at the time, parked out in the back lot. And I thought it was just a cool looking car. I asked him about it and he said, oh, that's one of the mechanics. You know, I know, I know him, you know, it's his kind of daily driver. And I mean, it was in okay condition, but it wasn't beautiful. It was just a good daily driver type car. My dad proceeded to complain about the 1974 Pontiac GTO because he had started at GM dealerships in about 1970, 71. He remembered when they were brand new cars and everyone hated them. He hated them. He hated working on them. You know, he just kind of progressed into complaining about this car and how it's not a great car and this, this, this. But I persisted that I like the car. I like the way it looks. I think it's a cool car. Like it's got, it's just cool. We kind of dropped the conversation and it was about a week later when he came home and threw a set of keys at me and basically said, here you go. And he had bought the GTO and we were going to fix it up for me to drive. So he was able to get past his opinions because he saw me 
getting into the hobby and working on cars with him as long as I had, all of a sudden really excited about one car. And even if it was a car that at that time didn't fit certain shows, it wouldn't have fit Motor Muster at that time. I was still interested in doing it and building it, even though it wasn't that old of a car. And that car led me into everything I've done since then, getting involved in the car hobby, going to school, learning museum studies, digging into Henry Ford Museum, working on all the cars there, starting to collect the cars I have. And now I'm I'm an early car guy, but it's all because of that 1974 Pontiac GTO and my dad not pressing his opinions upon me about what that car was. Something that I think that uh, might come from Open good guys opening it up, and this this may be fetching a little bit, but you know I can see the aftermarket even growing more, and the years that OEM's not making parts anymore, but the aftermarket's not supporting it yet, and it you know it may even grow some businesses and companies around seventy two to eighty seven cars. There's just you know, there's nothing really out there for them. There's no bolt-ons. There's no custom gauge panels or consoles or a different grill or something like that. And, you know, it may it may spawn something that may take off to just help support it even more. So that, that may be far-fetching a little bit, but, I, you know, I can definitely see see that happening. I don't, I don't think it's that far-fetched, Will. I mean, it's... It's the way everything goes. All, you know, everything that progresses through time, you know, we always find ways to improve it, ways to modify it, ways to enhance it. I I think it's just the natural progression of everything. As we go through time, time limit or that portion of history develops. If you're, if the market's savvy, obviously they know people are going to want to start restoring these cars or modifying these cars. So they're going to start making the aftermarket replacement parts to restore them. They're going to start making the aftermarket add-ons, pieces to customize it and do the things you want to do to it. So I I don't really think it's that far-fetched. I mean, I think it will allow the industry to grow into those markets. That's not a bad thing. That's just what needs to happen. I mean, I'm sure in the 1960s, they weren't thinking that there was going to be a market someday for 1950s restoration parts so yeah you know, we just have to accept that there's going to be a market for 1980s restoration parts and hopefully they include some you know new knees and elbows and joints for us as we get older that's right yeah i mean you know one of the first things that you want to do to your your car to in, in my opinion is to make it faster and make it stop better uh, along with making it look good it, you know it still has to operate so I can really see whether it's Willwood brakes or Bear brakes or stainless steel brakes or somebody out there. Starting Rocky Mountains. Make, Rocky Mountains, whatever, yeah. you know. Um, <laughs> um, starting to make bolt-on brake kits and tubular A-arms and suspension kits for these cars. And, and in return, what that's going to do, they're like, well, okay, now that good guys accepts these cars... We can go vend at a good guys event. So that's just going to help good guys out in their vending and and even just bringing people through the gate, whether they have a car or not, 
to look at, you know, this new company that's vending at a good guy's event. Let's go check out their stuff and see if they've got something for me. You know, NSRA opened theirs up to a rolling 30, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, something like that. And I wouldn't say that NSRA has grown through the roof because of that. I'm not going to say it killed them because of that. But like at Louisville at the Street Rod Nationals, you know, that show's really not got much, any bigger. NSRA and Good Guys are two two totally different, really, elements here. NSRA went from 1948 and older only to a rolling 30. And that, you know, I'm not going to it made It made a lot of people mad when they did that. You know, I thought it was a good thing. Um, and yeah, you know... Like I said, it, it it didn't it didn't set the world on fire when they done it, but to me it's cool walking out of a building and seeing a, a Maverick go by or a, you know a early eighties Malibu. I, I like those cars. I think they're kind of neat and cool, and, and and seeing them rolling around square body trucks and so I, I I'm I, I like the idea of of it opening up. We seem to have uh, discussed this thoroughly, and I think we're all in agreement that for the longevity of the hobby, potentially the financial health of the hobby, we all agree with the good guys move, you know, as Will started to allude to the rolling 30 years. And when I first asked Will 20 minutes ago about would it be a rolling 30 years, and then he brought it up at the end after listening to our conversations, I don't know if I like the idea of the rolling 30 because all of a sudden then people are always building for that next year and that next year. It's, I think it's nice to have, have the limitations. And, you know, in another 15 years, we can add another 15 years to good guys, whoever makes those decisions. I, I agree with you, John, on that. I, I think, yeah. I think you, you need to have a year. You know, I, I'm not a big fan of the rolling 30. I mean, I get it. I understand it. But I, I, I think there needs to be a cutoff year. Well, if we go back to you and I visited and uh, over the summer, and like you said, th- this rule's been rumored, and you've got an idea for an, a next project based on if that rule came about, which now it has, so now that project you have in mind is very valid. But if it's a rolling rule, all of a sudden they go, well, it's going to take me two and a half years to do the build, so I'm not going to build a 19... 19- 87 car i'm going to build a 1990 car so that when the year 2000 rolls around here in two and a half years the car you roll out is the latest and greatest 1990 buick roadmaster station wagon yeah i i I like the cutoff you know now that we get to that and maybe that'll appease some of the listeners that go no we can't move this 15 years no I, i i definitely like the this is the this is the rules this is the way it's going to be and you don't know when we're going to change it again yeah, I I gotta agree with that. I think you know the the periodic updates to the cutoff year, but I'm also not a big fan of the rolling thirty. Uh, same reasons, you know, just keep a cutoff year and up it, you know, every ten, fifteen years, whatever the decision is. But yeah, the rolling thirty just uh, I think, like you say, it opens it up to too much of a, a mess. So now that we've talked that one to death, what else do we have going on? Is there any things on the horizons? Did you guys buy any new to- new toys other than, you know, I don't think I can do an Amazon link to a power hammer for for Will. I just I just I just got to know Will, uh did you guys at the shop name it MC? 
No, we uh, we actually named it the Little Pecker. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna have to edit that. <clears throat> <laughs> Why? You know, it's it's a hammer, a little pecker hammer. You know. <laughs> We're going. We're going. Next time my my pinstriping buddy comes over, that's, we're going to have him pinstrap it on the side of it, little pecker. In order to save some face here, you're going to have a like a little Woody Woodpecker on on the side of it too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. <laughs> There'll be a little a little woodpecker on the side of it or something like that, just so uh, people understand what we're so, talking. Some about. Some sort of pecker that involves wood, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, <laughs> well, unfortunately, I have not bought any new toys. I'm just trying to get all of mine fixed and restored and ready to roll and get on the road. So, yeah, no, no new toys here. I, I actually, I almost have my lathe set up and ready to go again. So uh, cool. that'll be nice once I have that up and running. But I don't have a name for it yet. I'm sure we can come up with something on this show. So maybe that'll be the next challenge over the next few weeks is to name Derek's lathe. There we go. We'll do an Instagram contest. You get a sticker if you get the right the right name. And speaking of stickers, uh, our first patron, Anthony, has stepped up his uh, uh, donations to us per month. So I guess we're doing something right in his eyes, and we appreciate that support. So remember, we do have that Patreon going on, and... They finally, somebody, I discussed it in the trucks episode, somebody I saw on Facebook today, there's a dealership in Georgia, I might have to drive over and look at it. Two-wheel drive, Ford F-150, standard cab, short bed, 650 horsepower, 5 liter V8 under the hood, and lowered, custom exhaust. It's kind of a lightning for today. That two-wheel drive sport truck that I've been asking for and asking for and asking for with better than Raptor performance. Somebody's doing it, selling it to you for under fifty grand, plus all dealer incentives and factory incentives with a factory warranty. Was it the black one? You know, yeah, I think yeah. it was. It was a bl- black oh, yeah. one. So yeah, wait, that's are a they, good looking truck. That's a good looking truck. Does, does that mean they're listening to the podcast, or do we have a listener? That's awesome. Quite, quite possibly, and I will have. I will happily take that in any color, preferably blue, so it matches the logo. Put no driving gloves and the dealer name on the side of it, and we will promote that for them. Uh, send me an email. I'll tell you where to ship that truck. <laughs> we we go a lot too, by the way. Don't we need three? Huh? Wouldn't we need either, three? Either that, or we got to share it. You guys have trucks. Well, I, I'll sell mine. I'll trade it in. Just, just you know, I, I'll give it to you. <laughs> oh, Lord. So I did see that one come, and that, that one kind of made me happy. I go, all right, so, some, somebody out there is listening, something that's not a performance four-wheel drive. It does need to be about six inches lower, though. Agreed. Frame ain't scraping. You've been taken. That's right. I guess we might, might go ahead and uh, wrap it up right there. I think it's been a pretty uh, enlightening episode. Recap some of the the good events that everybody was at. Some of I just got to meet a guy. Otherwise, I think we've uh, hashed out the uh, I think we've hashed out the new good guys rule fairly well. Does anybody else have anything to add to this evening? Or otherwise, we'll call it a night and we'll see everybody next week. Good to go. That's all I got. And that's it. We'll talk to you in a week later. <laughs>